G'day mate, 40 here. So I'm back streaming with OBS from uh, Australia. Very, very exciting to be back talking to you. And uh, I want to talk about this new book by Sean Kelly. It's on Australia's Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. And I uh, just need to make sure that everything's now working. So it's the first time I've uh, used used OBS here in Australia and it looks like we are indeed streaming. How exciting. So there's this uh, new book that came out November 1st about Australia's Prime Minister. It's called The Game, A Portrait of Scott Morrison. It's by Sean Kelly. He's a man of the left and uh, he's a former spokesman for uh, Labour Party left-wing politicians here in Australia. So the book's very much from a left-wing perspective. It's it's thoughtful, it's a good read, and uh, I think it's, it's a good challenge for us. So here are some excerpts from this new book. In 2010, towards the end of the year, when most politicians were already on holiday, so in Australia, pretty much everyone goes on holiday in December. So 50 asylum seekers died in a shipwreck. So they were trying to come illegally to Australia uh, by boat, and 50 of them died in a shipwreck. All right? And the survivors of the wreck were detained on Christmas Island, which is about 1,200 miles from the shore of the mainland of Australia. But they asked that their dead family members be buried on the mainland of Australia. And the Labour government, meaning the left-wing government, agreed. And so Scott Morrison, who's now Australia's Prime Minister, was then the opposition immigration minister. So he wasn't in power. He was working for the opposition, the conservative opposition. And he thought this was a bad idea, that uh, these dead family members were buried on the mainland of Australia and their relatives were flown to attend the funerals and they were put up at, at government expense. So here's how the Canberra Times recounted this. Opposition immigration spokesman Scott Morrison told 2GB he believed Australians would be angry to learn that the government was paying for grieving families to fly from Christmas Island to the mainland to attend the funerals. Well, there's nothing in the Refugee Convention which covers this place and places an obligation on us. And I think people would be rightly angry about this. I think they'll want an explanation from the immigration minister in government. So Talkback Radio from 2GB to Canberra's 666 ABC lit up with irate callers. And uh, Scott Morrison repeated his criticism of the government paying for the funerals throughout the day of the funeral. Then that night... Television bulletins carried heart-rending scenes of a woman screaming and collapsing in grief and a breath little boy who lost both parents and a brother in the tragedy clinging to relatives for comfort. So the theme of today's show is why has bad behavior skyrocketed? And I think the answer can be found in incentives. Whenever you incentivize something, you get a lot more of it. So you incentivize people coming to your country illegally you're going to get a lot more of that kind of behavior. You incentivize people by paying for them to attend via to attend funerals. 
You put them up in hotels. Everything you do for people coming to your country illegally, every kindness that you show them is going to incentivize their bad behavior. All right. So on the one hand, it sounds noble. It sounds kind to do all these things for people who are here illegally. But what you're doing is incentivizing bad behavior. The more you incentivize bad behavior, the more bad behavior you get. The more you discourage bad behavior, all things being equal, ceteris paribus, the less bad behavior you get. So every kindness you show to people who are behaving badly, all things being equal, you are likely to get more of that bad behavior. So why do we have this skyrocketing in crime? Why do we have this skyrocketing of bad behavior in schools? Why do we have this skyrocketing of uh, traffic deaths? and pedestrian deaths, because bad behavior has been incentivized and certain groups have been declared sacred so that you're not allowed to criticize them. What happens when you take a group, you declare it sacred and says it should be immune from criticism? So I've got, I've got very posh friends who are far more successful in life than I am, and they're dedicated to their careers and they're, they're dedicated to fitting in with their peers. And uh, let's see what we've got here. Elliot Blatt, what's going on, bro? Blessing. Shalom. How are you, brother? Shalom. <laughs> it's uh, great to talk to you. What's going on, man? Oh, I just, just, I'm on a, I'm on a good upswing, bro. I'm feeling good. Like yourself, please. Yeah. Is it uh, the swimming in cold water? Well, you know, I haven't swam in cold water about three weeks now because it's now December and the water is quite cold. And I've sort of found this new passion in the in the interim to sort of get me through the cold weather months, um, which is juicing. I've been juicing a lot. Every day, in fact. So and what are you juicing? Um, well, so basically there's three core ingredients, which are carrots, celery, and beets. Now, to which you can add any number of other things. Um like, you know, parsley or cilantro or garlic or pears, you know, really the list is endless. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've been doing this. Really, the list is endless. Now, it, uh, you know, as long as it's not fruit juice, all fruit, you know, it's more or less, it, you're like, you're like, uh, you're kind of oversaturating yourself with vitamins. And it, it's it's all sort of nice, fresh vegetables, you know, very easily uh, digested by your body. So I found like I have this incredible surfeit of energy from doing this. And I, I'm losing weight without really exercising, which is, which is nice. Wow, that's amazing. How long have you been doing yeah. this? Uh, I started on Thanksgiving. Okay. So and every day since th every day since Thanksgiving. And how long did it take for you to notice an improvement? Uh, by the third day, I noticed, and this is a bit gross, but I was like sweating profusely, right? Yeah. But in a way that was really like cleansing. It felt like like a lot of garbage was just being dissolved out of my body. It felt really really good. You know, but gross at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but 
I, I, I did feel like I just started feeling a lot more looseness in my shoulders. You know, I felt like my body felt lighter and I had more flexibility and uh, a lot more energy. And it just seemed like it was the correct path because I was getting very tangible results. And how about the cold water swimming? Well, uh, I'm going to go back to it, but um, <clears throat> see, you hear that cough that I frequently have? Yes. That's like, that's like a deep lung infection that I have. Um, and I'm concerned about cold water swimming while still having that. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can actually get rid of this through my juicing protocol. So I'm giving myself until January to see if with juicing every day, see if I can uh, heal this up. Because it's something I've had for a long time. It's sort of like this low-grade lung infection that doesn't seem to want to heal. So, um, and it seems like cold water, like really cold water, which it's, you know, the water started to be now, plus colder air, it just seems like too much risk for me to take. With a lung infection, I feel like I could be risking pneumonia or something. So I don't want to stir the pot too vigorously and uh, tempt fate. I remember before I left for Australia, I'd, I'd had the flu and then I had a sore throat for like two or three weeks before I left for Australia. And then my first week in Australia, I still had the sore throat. And then mm -hmm. one day I just woke up and it was gone. And I, I feel like swimming in the ocean, like helped me get over it. But I, I'm not recommending that for you, but that's just my experience. So so you, how frequently have you been swimming in Australia? I'd say every other day. Okay. And what's the water temperature in Fahrenheit? Uh, it's about 67. 67. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's not excessively warm, nor is that excessively cold. That's, it's probably what? A little bit cold when you get in, but you quickly adapt? Yes. Yeah. Now, how long do you stay in when you're in? Oh, 20, 30 minutes. Okay. So do you laps along the shore or something? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I body surf. Uh, yeah. So, man, there, there have been some incredible waves the, the last few days. I mean, scary waves. I mean, just like three times my height. <laughs> oh, yeah. Once once a wave is over six feet tall, it's, it's a very deadly... Uh, it's a very, it's a force you need to respect. You can really be worked over and, you know, yeah. Yeah, so, I kind of curl up and put my hands over my head because I don't want to break my neck. That's my Yeah, theory. the key is you don't resist. Don't, mm -hmm. If you're being tossed about, you don't resist. You just let it take you where it takes you. And try to, try. don't inhale, don't swallow water. Just oh, yeah, that, yeah, I've been swallowing water. <laughs> and another thing I've noticed is, I, I exercise on my stationary bike for, for years, but the, the exertion, I haven't done any swimming in 10 years. Yeah. And so I am out of breath really quickly and I just yeah. can't get enough breath. And so I have to mm. go back to shore, you know, catch my breath and then go back out there, but much exertion. And I just, I just, I just don't have the breath. And so, and then the waves start hitting you like, you know, wave every five seconds or so. And so mm -hmm. a wave hits you, you go under, you come up, you get your breath, and then another wave comes, you have to go down under it, you get your breath, and then, you know, they're, they're smacking you around, and, and you come up. Oh, yeah, it's been quite challenging. Yeah, you have to get out beyond the break. You have to, yeah. you, you, you know, 
you're in the you're in the danger zone. You know, yeah. you're at the border. You're at the Mexican border. You're at the Rio Grande of waves crashing. You need to get out beyond. Yeah, when I and get beyond do, the break, is the the lifeguards uh, yell out and try to bring me back in. So, oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, on some days, not not all days, but some days there's like a dangerous, dangerous, uh, I guess, riptide or current or uh, dangerous things going on. So some days they try to bring you back in. Well, like how how big are these waves are you talking about here? Like they're two to three. Plus? They're two to three my height, so they're um, like twelve to fifteen. Twelve. Yeah, no, twelve to fifteen. They're not that feet. big. Yeah. That's that's you're risking your life in waves like that. If you're not used to it. If it's I'm, over six I'm feet, ins- I don't go out. I don't go out if it's over six feet, period. Oh, man. These are, yeah, it's been yeah. really challenging. It just yeah, waves that big. They, it's, it, well, like, it, it's, it's like a, it's like a ton of bricks falling yes. on you. One of those crashes on you. It's like a ton of bricks. Oh, and they just spin you right round. You don't know. I don't know what side's up, what side's down, but they always end up smashing me against the ocean floor. And then I, then I come up and like gasp for air, yeah. and then they, then it keeps spinning me around, and so I'm like swallowing water, coming back yeah, look, up, and then the next one is coming, and like dying. Look, you're under. taking a way too much risk. Way too much risk for a man of your age, my dude. <laughs> I am <laughs> either either swim out behind the waves or don't yeah. go out at all, because you're you're like you're going to war each day if you do that, man. That's that's impressed. I'm very impressed, but I'm just saying you got to respect the forces. Like you never turn your back on the ocean. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've been like watching all these YouTube videos on ocean safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's like going to an ATM machine in the ghetto. You know, you yeah. just, you don't turn your back. I've I've had a lot of people t- tell me Luke doesn't respect the Australian Ocean. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got things to learn, particularly when I'm this out of shape. No, no swimming for for about 10 years. And so when when I'm forced to <laughs> swim fairly hard, you know, I'm, I'm losing my breath, you know, fairly quickly. So I have to have to get into shape. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, I made my point. You, you understand the force. Yes. Don't be a hero. Don't be a hero, Luke, because no, it's yeah. not worth it. Now, yeah. do you feel like when you, after a swimming session, the night after, do you feel like you like just fall into a good sleep? Do you feel like you just you sleep easily after a good swim? Um, I noticed some benefits in that direction, but there are also other things that I'm dealing with. I don't, I don't have my own room. I don't have my you know, traditional mattress. I don't have my CPAP. Um, um, so I think I'm sleeping okay, fairly well, but there are also challenges. So I'm sometimes walking down three flights of stairs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so. Three flights of stairs? It sounds like you're uh, well-appointed. <laughs> so you have some nice accommodations. Oh, yeah, I've got a very nice place. Like I'm, uh, I'm a kilometer from the beach. Um, I'm in Sydney's eastern <laughs> suburbs. I'm in the... Some of Australia's most expensive real estate, so it's uh, it's very nice. Now, how long have you had this uh, lung infection? Or I assume do you have a sore throat with it? I don't have a sore throat. It's purely in the lungs and only in the lungs. Like, okay. uh, I think I got it in 2014 when I was working in an office downtown. Um, you know, recirculated air. Yeah, and it was like a, I got a, a severe, severe flu that year. 
and it never, I mean, it took a long time to get over and it never quite healed at yeah. a deep level. Yeah. I never went to a doctor about it. Maybe I should have in, in retrospect. So, uh, um, yeah, it's been quite a long time now. It, 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 it comes, it, it sort of, uh, it, it sort of uh, it rolls in and rolls out like the tide, you know, but it never quite disappears. So there's it's some there's at times it's quite severe, other times it's barely noticeable. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so two thousand yeah, it's been too long. Yeah, no, I'm I'm I know a lot of other people who struggle with things like that. I mean, these things can hang on for for months, months, and months. Yeah, months. but uh, I'll tell you. Uh, it, it was when I started juicing. It was a, it was at a pretty high ebb, and it quickly, quickly, quickly receded. Uh, you know, and I attribute that entirely to juicing. Like juicing garlic, I throw garlic in this juice, which um, you know has antibiotic, antiviral properties, <laughs> and uh, it's like your whole body just starts to burn. <laughs> you do this i wouldn't recommend this casually but uh it's like uh it's like you start being consumed by fire from within and i don't know it it felt uh after that i really felt good but while it was going on it was really quite uh irritating Hmm. so um what do you think about me moving to sydney well, I'll tell you what. I thought of a story about myself in 2009. And, um, like, I basically, you know, I, ha- I had lived in California before. And I was living in Boston at the time. It was, like, summer. It, it was late summer. And I just looked up. I looked around. And I said, I just can't stand Boston. I'm in California. It was, like, split decision. And then 10 days later, I was in California. Yeah. Like I just, it, it, and I never looked back. I never had a second thought about it. I never doubted it. You know, this is after 13 years of living in Boston and thinking Boston was the greatest place. So I, I understand these sort of s- sudden moves because it just feels right. You know, yes. and if it feels right, and you have no doubts, even though it, from outward appearances, it seems crazy, yet nevertheless, you feel compelled to do it. It's probably the right thing for you. Yeah, I, I just came here for for a holiday. But then on my first morning walking by the Coogee Beach while I'm live streaming, I just felt yeah. like I, I want to move here. Just something shifted in my soul. It never occurred to me. But there just seems to be a high quality of life for me. There's There's virtually no crime here. Uh, public yeah. transportation is a perfectly pleasant experience. There's a, it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And, yeah. uh, and there's a, there's a great Jewish community here as well. And I've got a lot of friends. I grew up two hours from here. So I've got a lot of friends in Sydney, uh, family in Sydney. So. But didn't you feel really well and en- seemed like you were pretty well entrenched in LA? Like, I was like- and I am. I am. Yeah. I've been 27 years. I'm happy in LA. Like I, <laughs> I keep talking about how I love LA and I yeah. do. But uh, like when I, when I walk around in LA, about half of LA's population doesn't speak English. 
Um, yeah. I don't yeah. feel that same sense of connection with, with strangers that I do in Sydney. There's like a, a safety in talking to strangers in Sydney where I had to be much more alert in, in Los Angeles. And beside that, you know, half the people I couldn't even speak to. Well, I'll tell you, the last time I was in L.A. a number of years ago, it just seemed like hell on earth. I, I couldn't imagine. Even the nice parts seemed terrible to me, right? I mean, but granted, I, ha I don't have really any contacts there, uh, and I don't like hot weather. So, uh, but, yeah, but, you know, I feel like San Francisco has gone way downhill in the time that I've been here. Like in the past two years, it's basically fallen off a cliff. I mean, it was on a steady decline, and then the bottom just fell out in the past post COVID. So, uh, I have no inclination to leave, but uh, if it's on its current trajectory continues, you know, I, I may have to, which would be very sad for me. So, tell me more. How would how would you describe what's happened in San Francisco the last two years? Um. Well, there's various different threads, and they're all sort of intertwining. So one thread is part of the charm of San Francisco used to be sort of the kind of, you know, uh, art scene that was very active and vigorous and spontaneous and interesting. And there was, you know, it's hard to explain, but there was this just very vibrant creative atmosphere that sort of permeated all various neighborhoods in the city that were great, you know, and that seems to have gone. It's been replaced slowly over time with the ascendancy of Silicon Valley. Uh, it's changed character where it's just sort of like a bedroom community for, um, you know, high earning people from tech firms. And they just simply, they just, they have a different vibration altogether that's not sort of in keeping with the bohemian character of San Francisco. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's just simply about restaurants and rents, you know, and property values. That's all everybody talks about. And that's really kind of boring. What about crime? What's your experience of uh, the rise in crime or what have you noticed, if anything? Um, well, I, I don't really experience it directly, uh, but there are marketing, you know, you get little sense, you know, you know, it's going on because there's all kinds of, A, there's signs around town, avoid smash and grabs, you know, smash and grab awareness. You know, there's all these tips to avoid, you know, all these public service announcements telling you how to avoid being a victim of a smash and grab. You know, this is not, this is relatively new. And then you have all of the stores are kind of being really fortified with all kinds of security measures and security presence and like security guards with large uh, uh, firearms. You know, it feels like, you know, it feels like a third world country in that respect where like all the high value targets have uh, are protected by heavily fortified people. And it, it just, it's just not, it's just kind of an icky feeling, you know? So, but, so I, I had a smash and grab in my, for my car many years ago and I've since never carried, you know, allowed any value, just have any, when I say valuables, I mean anything of any value whatsoever, like quarters on my seat, uh, visible to, to an external uh, onlooker. So, uh, I haven't fortunately 
been a victim of crime in the recent years, but I've had bikes stolen uh, several times, and that's pretty aggravating. Oh, is the shopping experience different? In a little, <clears throat> slightly, like the armed guards. Having yeah. an armed guard at the at the at the entrance of a supermarket. It is a relatively new thing <laughs> for, for an ostensibly first world supermarket. Where's that comment in LA? I don't know. Uh, no, I don't remember armed guards outside uh, supermarkets, but I've been here in Australia for, for, for uh, three weeks now, more than three weeks, and I'm reading on the news about just large scale. Uh, thefts at you know very high end stores in in San Francisco and Los Angeles, and I'm reading about stores that are closing down. So have you? I think Walgreens is closing a bunch of branches in San Francisco. H- have you noticed uh, stores closing down? Well, uh, I did, but they've been closing steadily since COVID, so right. I don't notice any additional. But yes, it's just weird. It's very weird to see a continuous streak of closed stores, you know, clo- of boarded up storefronts. Um, let's, I mean, occasionally it'd be the one and the odd, but there'd be a streak of two, three, four in a row. That just is utterly unprecedented. Now, how much we attribute that to COVID, how much do we attribute that to, uh, you know, the recent uh, smashing grab phenomena? Who knows? But <clears throat> it, it's not good. And it, it, it uh, People notice, they talk about it online, um, but they're still very much, as far as I can tell, committed to their uh, left-wing politics, nonetheless. They seem to be able to find excuses that conform to their worldview rather than kind of address the problem more objectively. And how's the, how's the homeless situation in San Francisco? Um. <clears throat> It's getting worse, but the news makes it seem different than it actually is, right? It's pretty constant. I mean, the real grotesque examples that you see in the news are relatively concentrated in a narrow set of blocks. So it's not like I'm dealing with that on a day-to-day basis, you know? Um it is bad and getting worse, but it's not a day-to-day experience. Of mine, if that makes any sense. Okay, and uh, what about public transport? What's that like in the Bay Area? <laughs> well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get on it if you paid me. <laughs> Why? <laughs> okay, because it's a. There's basically two populations that use public transport. Blacks and Latinos. Sort of, no. Um, elderly Chinese and insane people. Really? Really, okay. yes. Yeah. I, I don't see... Um, I don't see many uh, of our the favorite uh, protected minority on public transport. I, I just... It's not cool enough, I'm afraid. And what, what's going on in the background? Are you making dinner? I am making dinner. I'm roasting some vegetables. Sorry. No, no worries. And uh, okay, one what, hand on the phone, one hand on the. 
Uh-oh. One hand on the old uh, roasting pan, as it were. Okay, and, and uh, <laughs> what kind of vegetables are you roasting, and what are you going to do with them? Uh, this is potatoes and carrots. Okay. Um, so these are some non-juiced vegetables. And so do you have a juicer at do you have a juicer at your place? Uh no. No. Would I used to consider... buy it from Amazon, that like fresh green juice. No no fruit juice. Forget about it. forget about Amazon, forget about jars, plastic. It has to be like boom, fresh, minutes old before you for to truly be a juice. The difference is night and day. How long does it take you to clean it up? It is a pain. You have to <laughs> it's miserable. <laughs> it's totally miserable, but it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. If you really want to soar with the eagles, Luke, you, <laughs> you have to pay your dues. I've got it down to a science, though. I've got a certain rhythm, a certain method. You need a well-functioning kitchen, for one thing. you got to get your kitchen well-organized, which I know you're not really into. So I'm barking up the wrong tree here, I understand. And are you a fairly good cook? I'm competent. I'm going to say I'm good, but I, 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 I can't cook. Let's put it that way. I can't cook. So are you vaccinated yet? No, no. absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm ready to get Omicron. I'm going to get over it. It'll be a bad weekend that I'll be immune from this. And so I'll be behind us, Luke. This is all <laughs> way overhyped, my dude. And how do you how do you anything changed in your feelings about the future of America over the over the past month? Well, I'm actually a little bit bullish. I'm a little bit bullish on America because um, I do sense I do sense a backlash coming mm-hmm. uh, electorally, and it could be pretty profound. Actually, it could be a drastic one. Um, and. If that happens, I think there's, you know, I think there's seeds of a of a of a good, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I, there could be a nice few years. I think. I think. I think our side will be on the offense for a couple of years anyway. And uh, who do you think is doing a particularly good job for our side these days? Uh, I'm liking what I hear out of uh, Desantis. Uh, but I've not been, I've not been like hyper focused on politics necessarily, but I, I like every note I hear of DeSantis I like, and, uh, I've sort of, uh, gained a lot of affection for Rand Paul. Um, so I think it's between those two that are going to sort of, I don't think Trump is going to run again. Um, do you? I, I do. But uh, you do health, health permitting, so he'll be what he'll be 80, 80 years of age, eighty two by nineteen twenty twenty four. So yeah, I just think that's just too old, and I just can't see an eighty year old man being up for a fight like that. I don't know. It just seems very strange to me that eighty seems incredibly old to me. Am I uh, am I wrong? Uh. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I feel I feel I don't have enough energy to run for president, right? Right. And like, I just can't imagine like an 80 year old 
And I don't think Trump's in the greatest of health. I mean, he, he does seem to be carrying a bit too much weight. And, I mean, I know you think differently, but I think Biden is a complete disaster. I think he's falling apart in front of our eyes. Um, and what is he, 79? Yeah, about that. So, I don't know. Do you think a president of the most powerful country in the world at 80 years old, most people are like deep into bingo territory at 80, you know? You know what's huge here in Australia is lawn balls. Like all the oldies are playing lawn yeah. balls. And I mean, even some of the youngies are playing lawn balls. Uh, yeah. So it is, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, I think I saw it in Beverly Hills. But how prevalent is lawn balls in California? Do you, do you... Well, there is uh, lawn, not lawn, right? You're saying lawn, right? There's a lawn bowling uh, pitch or whatever it's called, court in Golden Gate Park. And I actually tried playing it once. It's just insipid. <laughs> it was terrible. It was a boring game. But I can see why old people would like it, you know. It's kind of like golf, but it requires no coordination whatsoever. You know, you, like, throw one ball and you try to get to it as close to the ball without hitting it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you wear, like, a little uh, cotton sun outfit with a nice little cotton hat. And <laughs> You know, you look sporting. <laughs> it's a ridiculous game, but it's great. I can see why it's great for old people. Yeah. And what about croquet? Do they play croquet in California? Uh, no. Well, I think it's just kind of like a picnic kind of game. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you do you enjoy croquet, Luke? No, I haven't played it. But I did go, they call it 10-pin bowling. So in America, I think we just call it bowling. I went 10-pin bowling last uh Last Monday night, I couldn't believe how sore I was in my legs uh, because I'm 55 now. So all sorts of new activities, I just get like really sore. But uh, it was you... fun because I was doing it with like 50 other Jews. Yeah, it's much better with Jews. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> did you find? Did you hit it? Did you? Uh, did you find it harder than you imagined? Uh, yes, because all my balls kept—not all of them, but half of them—kept tailing off to the right. And uh, gutter ball, you hit a few gutter balls, a lot of gutter balls, but even when they didn't go in the gutter, they would just always tail off to the right. So, um, someone pointed out that there are arrows very early in the lane. And if I just aimed at the arrows instead of aiming at the 10 pins, I started doing much better. So my first game was 92 and my next game was 142. And then my final game was about 192. So I I got much better as I went along. 192 is actually a pretty decent score for a newbie. Yeah. Yeah. A perfect score is 300, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are lanes out here. You know, I, I didn't like it enough to go do it again or sort of do it on my own volition. But, yeah, I can see it's a fun, like, it was in the context of a Christmas party that I that I yeah, I, I went bowling. I mean, I'd only do it in, in company. Like, I'd do anything in good company, pretty yeah. much. So yeah. bowling doesn't mean anything to me in and of itself. But when you do things with Jews, like, Jews are a lively, emotional you know, outgoing, uh, funny uh, group of people. So you know, it was it was really fun to just uh, just to hang out with them and and to get to know people in the community. Because I'm seriously thinking of moving here. Uh, Want to find ways to make money here. Um, so now, would you do you have any particular um, industries or any particular 
you know, jobs that you're interested that you could do in in Australia? Yeah, yeah, I do. I've been I've been uh, making up a couple of different resumes. I wanted to find a space to resume my Alexander Technique practice, and uh, I've got a certain few other directions that uh, I'm I'm looking to explore. I, I won't get into more detail. Uh, okay, fair enough. Them, but yeah, I've got several yeah. several uh, several ways of making money that that I want to explore and. I just really want to just meet people and connect with people. And uh, it's the feeling of mateship and just the, the high level of social trust and cohesion and the, yeah, the mateship that's, that's so easily available in Australia. Australia is much more sexually segregated than any other country of which I'm aware. Blokes hang out with blokes. Sheila's hang out with Sheila's. Um, we'll come back to that in a second, but one thing I just want to throw out there Um I once met this woman and she worked for a mining company in Australia. And she said it was the best thing ever. Like, like out there on the mines and so forth. She said all the people were funny and they're rugged and it's good humor. And so it's been, it's sort of been this sort of fantasy sort of uh, career of mine is to like be a, like a miner in Australia, like driving, you know, does that appeal to you at all? Like working outside and getting fit and driving a forklift and stuff? Would, uh, possibly. Would you that? There's really good money in, that, in Australia. Like tradies, people working in construction and, and the natural resources boom, they just have more work than they can handle right now. So have you, so, yeah, have you been to Australia? No, 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 no. I'd like to go. It's just, it's, it's quite a flight though, my dude, as you know. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I've come here to, to to make a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. In my father's house, there are many mansions. <laughs> hey, would you stay in Sydney, or do you have other options? Like, I know you're going to another city, right? I've got other yeah. options, uh, but I, I love Sydney. Like, Sydney is yeah. a very lively town. It's the biggest town in Australia. Uh, it has amazing beaches. It, it's beautiful. The weather's good, um, yeah. and I know a lot of people here. And it's 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 ninety minutes drive from where I grew up. How far is Sydney from Melbourne? About eight hours drive. Oh, it's that far. Yeah. Okay, so I I thought all the I thought all the intellectuals went to Melbourne, not Sydney. Like uh, maybe, Sydney, yeah. Sydney That's was sort of like the New York, whereas Melbourne was the Boston or San Francisco. Yes. That, yes. That's that, right. So you're more you're more of a New York. LA type, not a Boston type. Yeah, so Melbourne is more European. It's more traditional. Melbourne was settled by settlers rather than by convicts. So Sydney is more brash and uh, more in your face and more about making money. Okay. So they're very frank about money the way they are in New York, whereas it's like tut tut, you know, it's not discussed in Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there would be. It, it's like an, maybe an L.A. versus San Francisco difference. So in L.A., people don't mind flashing their money. But in San Francisco, yeah. people tend to play it down. So I think there's mm-hmm. an L.A. LA San Francisco difference or a New York-Boston difference. Okay, so you're staying true to your type by even, yeah. even when you change, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think so. It's funny, mm-hmm. I met uh, Jim Bowden, who's a regular in the chat. And yeah. uh, Jim's been quite a troll over the years. And once he was so trollish that I even banned him. 
and he, he emailed me and, and we sorted it out. Well, I get here, he picks me up from the airport, you know, he takes yeah. me back to his place, uh, yeah. like serves up like two delicious mangoes, just, I mean, just delicious. Uh, he's got a lovely family. He's got a lovely home. Like we hanging out, like he drives me around Sydney. He's like, he's been the perfect host. And, uh, Jim says that, uh, now that he's gotten to know me in person, he, he just can't troll me anymore. And I think there's, there's something to that. Like once you get to know people, it, it does yeah. make it more difficult to troll them. Yeah. I, I think I've, uh, I think I've wrestled my inner troll to the ground. I, I think, uh, I think as fun as it is and as fun as it can be, I don't think it's, it, it's nothing you want to become, you know, you don't want to have that become your identity. Like it's not positive ultimately. Yeah. You know? So. It, uh, it takes yeah. over people's lives. Like I've seen it have a really bad effect on a lot of people. Yeah. I've seen people get, get fired from fairly prestigious positions I've seen it warp people's personalities. Uh, I mean, social media is dangerous in that you have all these people that you like until you start to read their thoughts. And then you and then you realize that half the people that you thought you liked, you now hate. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Is that license to sort of... Um, it gives you that license to be a little extra barbed yeah. more so than you would be in public. And, you know, once sort of once that bell has been rung, you can't unring it, you know, and I don't know, even though I feel like I was right. I do. Feel, I mean, there are people that I can't talk to anymore or who I've either blocked or they've blocked me. And, uh, and I'm looking back, you know, and I'm looking back to like late 2015. And I'm like, what a weird journey this has been. <laughs> I never knew any of this stuff existed in late 2015. And then suddenly, you know, it's been on my, it's basically been my entire life for the past six years. <laughs> it's just bizarre that, that I look back and there's just, just this, this, this trail of ruin behind me. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm keeping, so basically I'm on a, I'm on a, uh, uh, what's, what's it called? I'm on a, and, um, Dopamine fast. Oh, wow. I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, limit my online activity, you know, really work on my, 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 my various disciplines and, um, just sort of not, just not reflexively go to the internet. I treat internet like I used to treat television, you know, and, yeah. you know, have a, have a more uh, cautious, have a more uh, respect for it. And, you know, I, it's amazing. Like, you know, when I was growing up, we had, I lived in the country growing up and we had three television channels. Two of them came in fine. And one of them was really squirrely. Right. So basically two and a half channels. Yeah. And that was that, you know, and now it's a complete banquet of multimedia entertainment. And it's like, how do you, the only, the only problem is like discerning which, which to consume and which not to, you know, and you can really just, I think, piss away a lot of hours 
that could be better applied to cultivating some discipline or another. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it can be an escape and it can be a distraction and yeah. it, can, it can be even worse than that. But, uh, have you, have you noticed yourself ever taking your online trolling and then it having an effect on how you speak and operate in daily life? Um, Probably, probably. I mean, with close friends, I've become more frank, and I think that's actually helped our relationship yeah. because, um, you know, there's enough trust to withstand sort of base takes, shall we say, <laughs> than there is among strangers. But with among strangers or work acquaintances, I'm actually much more guarded. Yeah, it's made me. Um, because I now I know where the fault lines are. I mean, that's one sort of benefit that this online stuff has told me. It just sort of showed me where the ideological divides are and why they exist, and um, you know where the toes are to be stepped stepped on and how not to step on them. So uh, it's mixed. Yeah, I like I've offended a lot of people online who were previously friendly, uh, positively disposed towards me. And uh, you know, now I'm back in Sydney and uh, meeting up with people who've blocked me on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I, I was shocked. I never thought I would be blocked on Facebook and I was really hurt by it. <laughs> and it seems so trivial, but uh, at the same time, I was angry at myself. I was angry at them. And it's sort of like once that cord's cut, you can't talk to them again. It's this weird thing where it's really a Rubicon, you know? Yeah, <laughs> no well, we're back. just not mentioning it. So that that's what we're doing. We're just ignoring it. <laughs> well, these people that blocked me, I haven't met in person yet. But it's Cindy, the people that don't block you are the people that were truly your friends, you know? It's a sort of filtering mechanism. Like... I really know who my friends are now. Yeah, but all of our friends are situational. Like all of our friends, like even our, our best friends, there would be situations that would put considerable strain. So I, I, I hear that argument all the time and I'm, I'm skeptical of it. Like I, I don't think we, we ever truly know who our friends are because we change in different circumstances and our friends change and then the situations in which we interact change and... So I, I don't think there's a true self and I don't think there's, I'm kind of skeptical of this notion of, you know, true friends. Yeah. In a certain way, you're right. I mean, a, a true friend is someone like, if your interests are aligned, yeah. you're friends. Yeah. As soon as your interests diverge, yeah. you're really not friends anymore. It, it's a fiction that you've created uh, in your head. And then it, uh, I don't know. That's what Facebook's done. Is it's made these, it's made friendships a lot. It's made the word friendship have a lot less weight than it used to. There's like, a, there's a non, you know, they become easily, easily uh, severable and they're just a lot less deep. So like, for instance, my boss, like I, I'm quote unquote Facebook friends with my boss but he's blocked 
I, I don't, I, I exclude her from all my Facebook posts just in case. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want her, you know, I don't want anything traceable back to me. I don't want her seeing anything that, because our, our politics are, are thoroughly divergent, you know? Yeah. And I just don't want to muddy the waters. Um, you know, I just don't want that layer of uh, static, you know, when, when you're talking about how you, you're, you're, you feed yourself, you know? Now, there are also tremendous advantages because I, like Jim Bowden, I met him through doing these YouTube shows and he's picked me up and taken me around. Uh, there are other people that I've only known online who I'm now meeting in person in, in Sydney. So you can also, you can also meet people and add to your, to your friendships uh, through online activities. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I find like my uh, my my list of in person friends in the city is is like diminishing every three months. Someone's gone. <laughs> it's like this narrowing narrowing pool, and um, uh, which isn't really doesn't pertain to what you just said. So, but is that really the goal? That you know, I think it's like what does it mean to acquire new friends? You want more and more friends, and it's not like. It's not like being in school and having lots of friends meant a lot of meant love, meant what you, your social life, it meant all kinds of things. Friends as being friends as adults is just a different thing. Okay, well, I mean, I think it's in our self-interest to have as good a relations as possible with everyone that we interact with. So I went to a synagogue here in Sydney where they were celebrating a forthcoming wedding. And the couple who were getting married and their family were not members of the synagogue, but the, the, the groom wanted to have the celebration at this particular synagogue because when he walked into this synagogue five years previously, like the rabbi interrupted the service and said, remembered his name and, you know, remembered who he was and like said, Hey, you know, Ben, you know, it's great to see you again. And, and so when I see people who, who, are able to show caring and and concern and interest in in so many other people and see then the energy that they get from that because they have all these positive interactions with other people and then all the opportunities that come from that and then um, I was talking to one I was talking to one Jew I said you know why do you go to this particular synagogue and he said well because the rabbi completely unbidden he flew to a town where my father was was being buried. I didn't ask my rabbi, this rabbi to do this. He just did it because he just wanted to be there for me. So when I see the energy and the strength and the enthusiasm and the joy and the happiness uh, that, that I frequently see in synagogue here in, in Sydney, the places that I've been, I, I see the power that comes from having good relations with a lot of people. So it's a very powerful thing to walk into a room and have people glad to see you. Um, that's all true. Uh, it sounds true to me, but there's a flip side to that coin, which is, do you feel constrained by this to an, uh, yes, of course. And and is the price worth paying? Like, remember, okay. I'm thinking particularly, uh, you've seen, I'm sure, Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? You've seen the whole trilogy, right? So you remember that particular, uh, you remember that episode where, um, Larry's, fictional mother dies and 
this turns out to be a blessing for him because it just spares him from having to attain, uh, attend all these uh, various social commitments. Do you remember? Yeah. 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 Vaguely, and like, yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah, my mom died. He can't contain his laughter because it just means that, you know, he's got an excuse not to go to these yes. events. Like these events become, they become a uh, pro forma. They become expected. Right. And pretty soon you just feel like a, uh, uh, a mannequin being, uh, not a mannequin, uh, uh what's the puppet? Uh, yeah, the, the, you feel like a puppet uh, being, you feel like other a puppet being played by strings. other yeah. people, always pulling your strings and like, there's never a minute to yourself. Right. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, it's probably a character flaw of mine, but I just, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just, as soon as I got out of the house, you know, I just, just relished. I was so happy not to have to go to all these stupid things that people were doing and, you know, because grandma was sick, because, you know, so-and-so was graduating, you know, all these different things, all these obligations just were absolutely suffocating after a while. And you don't yeah. know who you are. I didn't feel like I knew who it was. I just felt like this, this, this puppet that needed to attend these various functions and do these things and be there and say the right words. And it just got so sickening to me after a while. Yeah, I think the what you're touching your finger on is that the the successful mature person is able to interact and have a lot of people in his life without being without turning into a puppet. The, the mature person says no to events that they don't want to attend, says no to things that they don't want to do, but doesn't blow up relationships unnecessarily. So there, I think there are ways to stay connected and be on positive terms with a large number of people without then becoming a prisoner of that large number of people. That's right. And that's certainly a domain in life which I've completely failed. Uh, I, I am not one of those people. I, I feel... I get so angry and I just, I feel like soon as I'm like, I'm like, uh, excused from one of these events, I just feel like I've been just, you know, set free from jail and I can breathe and just feel my feelings again. And just, I'm so happy to be done with those things. You must've had that experience Luke, where you're like, you're stuck some stupid dinner and it's yeah. just people you're sort of vaguely know and you're so you vaguely care about and, but you're sort of got to put up the appearance that you care about them really a lot and you're glad that you're there and you're really and it just seems like to be an artifice so much artifice that it, the pressure becomes too much to bear well know? i i've i've fallen off on one side of this continuum so on one side of the continuum is that you're a prisoner to other people's desires then the other side of the continuum is you just do your own thing and to whatever extent other people can hang with that you know you, that's great and so I'm much more the latter. I've pretty much lived my life doing my own thing. And to the extent that other people can hang with that, that, that's great. But I admire the people who are able to be like jaw-droppingly, breathtakingly honest. I, I notice this with a lot of, a lot of Jews in my life who, who, who will say to an event, like, there's no effing way I want to go to that. You know, they're yeah. just like so forthright. But they're able to carry it off in a way that doesn't unnecessarily antagonize people. And I just I just know what like a sense of relief and admiration I feel when someone is just forthright about, no, I don't want to do this. You know, I've got I just 
but they, they're able to do it in a way that doesn't make you hate them. It just makes me love them. It's like, wow, I admire how honest this person is. It, it is a skill, and I've seen that done, and I think I vaguely understand what you're, you're referring to. And yes, those people are admirable. <laughs> it's a skill set I don't have. And then, you know, it sort of goes to my upbringing. But um, I'll tell you a story. Like, about five, four or five years ago, I, there's, um, I had a friend, a neighbor, you know, remote connection, and he was a, a professor, uh, assistant professor of Jewish studies at Stanford, which is down the road from, from San Francisco. And so it was, uh, it was a Thanksgiving dinner. And I was dragged there, you know, I was invited there and I just couldn't, I really didn't want to go. I didn't, I, but I find it just relented just because I felt it was best for all concerned if I, I, I went along and I went along. So I did. And then it was like, you know, you leave at noon, you drive down, you get there. It's one in the afternoon, dinner goes on and it's like, you know, one thing after another. And it's all this family stuff with people who aren't really your family and it's just awkward and painful. And, uh, so, uh, it came time. So we, so it was like university housing. So it was a real small little apartment and we're all sort of crammed in there and we're crammed around this table kind of cheap to jowl, you know, really just stuffed like 10 people on a table meant for six, you know, and dessert was served and pie was served. So there was pie with ice cream and everyone got their pie. And I was seated next to this old grandma woman with like, you know, bifocals around her, you know, dangling around her neck on a little chain and so forth. And I'm just making the chit chat and all these pleasantries and so forth. And we're so tightly packed. <clears throat> I started just, I was just sort of eating unconsciously, eating the pie unconsciously. And I just accidentally ate her pie. <laughs> <laughs> After she'd eaten some of it, then I ate some of it, you know? And I just felt thoroughly grossed out by it. And then I just got so like, internally enraged and grossed out by this whole situation that I never wanted to be in, you know? And it was like, that typifies, to me, like these forced social interactions. That situation is like eating someone else's disgusting pie, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. So are you uh, are you going on uh, Claire Cause Millennial? Uh, what, what yeah, you doing? tomorrow yeah. 11. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, and I'm getting, you know, this is all my good material that I'm, <laughs> I'm giving to you. Oh, bro. <laughs> tomorrow, 11 a.m. Pacific, bro. You got to be there. So we'll have our chat and uh, we'll see what comes of it. I'm sure you'd be tuning in, Luke. Absolutely. That'll be one day I'm not going to the beach. <laughs> That's right. It's a point with you. So I don't know. We always have a good chat, I think. So, <clears throat> so but the, the regulars, the, all the, uh, like, I guess Brundle was on. I haven't seen his show yet. Uh, but I saw it come through. But all, all, all of the Luke Ford originals have been on. It's like... She's been mopping up your cast-offs, it seems. Wait, Brundle's going on Claire Cos show, or Brundle's I think being streaming? He was. I think he already has been. I haven't heard it yet, but I think it was impromptu. I don't think it was planned. I think he just called in. Oh wow! 
And what about Millennial Woes? What is he doing these days? Do you have any idea? Well, I heard, I've heard through on other streams that uh, it's going to be kind of action packed. All of the uh, all of the big names that we all know are going to be appearing. Apparently, Jared Taylor, Greg Johnson, um, some other. You know, the, I hear it's going to be a, a big one. But oh, I don't well, know if it's on YouTube. I think is he being kicked off YouTube? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Okay, so it's going to be on one of the new platforms, apparently. But I'll listen to that. I'll listen to some of them. I mean, I'm in a different space. I don't, I'm don't. i confused politically. I don't know what to think anymore. I mean, but I like, I like, I like the people involved, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, let's say, let's say hello to uh, Duvid. Uh, Duvid, how are you, sir? Good to see you. Good to see Hello, you. David. What's going on, David? Um, Rokoshim, I was actually, I just saw your invite. Church of Entropy is about to be a modern day debate with uh, the flat Earth. Became a little bit of a booking agent. I had I was on Adam Green the other day. Claire Call was just on Politically Provoked that I helped set up, and Adam Green's going to be on uh, Monday. I had on my channel this guy uh, Mark Reed with the Church of Entropy Thursday from Australia. He's going to be her debate partner on Modern Day Debate coming up. So uh, not big numbers in the streaming, but, uh, you know, staying a little active. I just uh, broke over 2,000 subs. Oh, cool. That's impressive, David. You're everywhere, David. I've noticed uh, you really spread your wings in various directions. It's very impressive. Yeah, maybe top, uh, topic expert. You know, not not getting big numbers, but you know, within the Judaism, you know, small level topic. I think uh, you know, I've become a internationally recognized expert. You know, thanks to Luke Ford. <laughs> so, is are you on uh, speed dial with Roseanne Barr? No, I fell out with Low Gallen. Like uh, I interrupted him on one of his streams. And he was my connection to Roseanne. I didn't keep her contact information. Although her numbers aren't that great anymore. You know, I mean, it could be I could reach out and, you know, maybe she would join the stream. I don't know. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, Low Gallon was tough to work with. Uh, so I haven't uh, been in contact with him for months. And, and so what else have you been doing lately, David? Um, just research my eBay business. Thank God I... I got a, a big load of cds in so uh i've been uh, you know selling books i'm, I'm almost over two thousand positive reviews um you know so nothing much laying low i'm, I'm uh yeah I, i've still remained unvaccinated I'm a little uh, hesitant so uh i hardly go anywhere um you know when i do i mask up so uh, a lot of reading a lot of research and uh, what about uh, Partners in Torah, Charles Moskowitz? Have you been doing that show? Yeah, we've stayed pretty steady for uh, every, you know, almost every Thursday. Like, the, like he's slowly getting better with his tech. He had on Jay Dyer last week. And uh, yeah, our numbers are decent. We get about 100 views uh, you know, each week. And uh, so we stuck doing it. And he's got... Uh, you know, kind of like on the minor outskirts of like the, 
uh, neocon, maybe uh, even uh, Alex Jones type crowd. So he gets some interviews, we get some names, but it hasn't really taken off and went anywhere. But it's uh, kept the base. It's like Brundlefly, uh, half Galician. Some of your old viewers uh, tune into that. So I would say from the you know Charles Moskowitz crowd, the people that were more into the you know, neocon or Jewish view on uh, conservative politics that uh, you know, we've retained maybe tens of your viewers in the Charles Moskowitz audience. Okay, and have you gone on other shows aside from Charles Moskowitz? Um, well, Politically Provoked, um, Ralph in uh, London, Germany, uh, this woman, Zobita, uh, like, uh, are, are you familiar with Speaker's Corner? I guess you're in Anglo yes. Hyde Park. Yes. So uh, I started speaking with this guy, Ralph, who's like a mixed-blooded right-wing uh, activist in uh, in London, a computer programmer. And uh, through him, I've spoken with quite a network of uh, a British uh, right-wing activists, uh, this uh, Muslim woman, Zobita. I was on Friday on this guy, Chris who has got a patriot, uh, patriotic uh, front or something. I think he's a part of Mark Collett's group, and he saw me talking to Ralph and uh, asked me to speak to his group, and it was kind of like old-school uh, alt-right, but these guys were all British, and they were asking me like you know, about Matsitsa Balpe, multiculturalism, uh, British Israelism. So I, I enjoy that stuff, and, and, and also this Muslim channel, so it was just like hours and hours of uh, kind of counter-Semitic type people just pounding one question after the next. So it's, I kind of enjoy that. And did you go on uh, Ethan Ralph's show? Did you say that, that you went on Ethan Ralph? No, no. I, I said that uh, um, I watched it a handful of times. Like uh, Judas Maccabeus got on there, and then he bailed. Like uh, like he was going to have him on as a regular and for whatever reason, he decided he couldn't do that. Um, but uh, this week I watched because uh, Brittany from Politically Provoked was on. And uh, I forget, I think it was that episode or later they were mentioning you. And, and so he said that he's got to have Luke Ford on again. And uh, he was talking, I mean, God forbid he was talking about himself. God forbid, God forbid, trying to put out another porn video. So he was speaking with you in specific uh, reference to your expertise on pornography in terms of wanting to get you back on the show and I, I was just watching that i had no connection I, I, you know like i don't I, i've never spoken to him it could be he's never heard of me and did uh, judas maccabeus have some kind of falling out with ethan ralph no i think whatever reason he just decided that he didn't want to do it uh and although he was on ed dutton like a month ago but his like his tech his tech was so bad his internet connection kept on fading out um but uh, I think Ethan Ralph wanted to do uh, JQ Bloodsports, and he was going to use Judas uh, Maccabeus. And, like, I think Adam Green, like, uh, he wanted to promote me a little bit for that. And I told him, like, I'm just a half-Jew. You know, uh, I know a lot, like, what the books say about the culture, more an independent scholar. But I said, you know, so I was the one that handed him Judas Maccabeus because, like, this guy's an official IDF rabbi. Um, but for whatever reason... Uh, like he backed out, you know, he didn't want to do it. Your channel too, you know, like he was supposed to appear in your channel again and again, whatever reason he decided he didn't want to do it, but he didn't share with me his reasons. I doubt he shared with you his reasons either. 
And were you, were you are you doing a show with Adam Green, or have you done a show with Adam Green recently? Just this last Thursday, I hadn't uh, been on. You know, I, I Twitter messaged him. We we you know, have like a kind of friend of me type relation. We were you know, we argue about Judaism uh, here and there, um, and uh, you know so he was like you know come on again. So I was on this last Thursday. And he said he's going to have me on again uh, the following Thursday because he had to cut it off after an hour. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, to cover because he went more into uh, the historical Jesus. So he's trying to promote. He's moved less from, you know, like pure counter-Semitism, like Chabad, uh, too much uh, Jewish influence in American society uh, to uh, Christianity, uh, like uh as a false religion, historical Jesus. And he's, he's had Christopher Van Jorken song like many times. That's become one of his uh, most recurrent guests. And so now he's basically promoting Christianity as a Jewish psyop in terms of like a historical Jesus perspective of the origins and rise of uh, Christianity. So I guess I'm his you know, debate opponent where uh, I'm defending um, some sort of Jewish position where, you know, not that Christianity is a friend of uh, Judaism, but for whatever reason that God rose up Christianity um, as a false religion, uh, but it's still the God of the Jews for whatever reason uh, that did that. And, and then the Kabbalistic understanding that uh, not Jesus, but the church uh, got taken over by the descendants of Asaph, that a lot of the Jewish scholars, uh, you know, over the last thousand years have generally... Uh, seeing that uh, the biblical prophecies referring to Asav in reference to uh, the church at large, the Catholic church or the North that he talks about from a conspiracy theory. So I've been defending that from more uh, pure Judaic view of just our understanding of how God manifests in history. And uh, what's been going on with your Judaism? Anything that you've been studying? Um. No, I gave up on Dafyomi because, like, you know, because I, I stopped going to Minion even on Sabbath. You know, it started getting cold. They stopped having outdoor Minion. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to get the vaccination. So, you know, that was the main reason I get the vaccination so I could go to shul. Uh, but, like, you can't even go to shul without a vaccination these days. So uh, w- without the actual community, I've had my, my Torah studying has fallen a little bit. I still read biographies before I go to sleep every night. I usually read biographies about the Gedolim, um, you know, like the mainstream uh, Litfish, uh, you know, Gedolim, like art school books or other books. And I'll study a little Torah. Like I keep up, like, I, you know, I pray every morning. I say Kriyashma, um, you know, do the basic mitzvahs, uh, you know, still keeping kosher rel- relatively. Like, you know, like I sometimes will have vegetarian stuff without a hexer, uh, but, uh, you know, because of COVID-19, I really just fell out with the community. We talked about that a few times where I saw that I'm not really that much part of the community. Like I would go to events. I maybe helped out the community. I would do things um, like Hanukkah. The rabbis still called me to help out with the ceremonies I posted on my YouTube. Um, but, you know, COVID-19 kind of showed me that I'm not really that much. I'm not an integral part of their community. Um, you know, so, so uh, it's tougher to, stay strong and learn Torah, um, you know, on your own as opposed to 
the strong community connection that we've talked about many times. I don't know if you've had the same issue. I guess maybe you're thinking of going back to Australia, or, or is that already on your ear? I mean, is it done, or are you still, you don't know, you still have an apartment in L.A., or could go either way? Yeah, I was thinking about that, because, like, Week in Review, we mentioned that, and, you know, it'd be tough. In fact, Rodney messaged me on uh, Twitter randomly, and so we were talking about that also, you know, like, uh, you know, just what would it be like? How would you fit into an Orthodox community in Sydney? And then in, in ultimate reality, as an older unmarried person, what do you really have to go back to? So you might have some friends, you might have, uh, you know, community or shul, but, uh, you know, you know, like, uh, to some extent, there's really no place for old bachelors in Orthodox Judaism. I don't know if that, and I was joking also, not, not even a joke, like with my read on you that maybe you were trying to feel, uh, you know, test your friends or test, uh, how much people really liked you or wanted you around and kind of just play like if you're in Australia, so how, how close are your friends, your connection in LA, how much do they really want you back there? Yeah, that's a interesting, interesting theory. Um, I mean, I am, I am seeing friends, I'm meeting people who I've only known online. Um, there are people that I grew up with who I'm reconnecting with and, uh, I'm trying to keep all options open, but at this point, it does look like I'm going to uh, move to Sydney. But I've got I've got a few weeks before I need to make a decision. So, you know, right now I still have a place in Los Angeles, but uh, you know, I don't want to keep paying rent on it if I'm not going to live there. So, yeah, you know, I guess as a convert, you would probably have to uh, you know, clear your local rabbinic. Uh, court i mean if you show up to chabad or something they you know they would probably get in touch with the sydney orthodox rabbinic court and those rabbis would probably contact the rabbis from la and if they gave you the okay uh you know the rabbis in sydney would probably give you the okay but that would be my estimate estimation of of how that would work i don't know if you showed up to your local chabad or, or if you want to talk about that yeah, I showed up to synagogues, and pretty much any time you go to a synagogue outside the United States, you need to pre-register, and even increasingly in the United States, you need to pre-register. So you submit because of security. Yeah, because of security. So you submit photo ID, and in the age of COVID, you need to pr- produce uh, proof of vaccination, and uh, I would also throw in my uh, conversion certificate and just basic information about me and. Uh, everyone knows someone else in, in Jewish life. So plenty of the people I, I've met here in Sydney, they know people that I daven with or, or study Torah with in Los Angeles. So uh, a lot of people from Sydney go to go to shul in Los Angeles, and I met them in, in L.A. at various synagogues. So it's uh, Jewish geography is, is a very common game. It's like, oh, you know, so-and-so. So as soon as I name synagogues that I attend, people will then go, oh, do you know so-and-so? And... Uh, uh, you, it's it's fairly easy to establish establish your bona fides, but you do have to pre-register. You do have to um, show who you are, and uh, you do also have to show proof of vaccination. The conversion is just a certificate, or, or you know, they might even call the rabbi in Los Angeles, but it's more formal that uh, whatever rabbi you have in Los Angeles, he would vouch for you, and that would be the end of it. Yeah. 
I mean, as soon as you know people in common and, uh, um, well, you know what you're doing. Obviously, if you're right. walking to a synagogue, you go to Dafyomi, even if your Hebrew is not that great. I mean, it's usually obvious. I don't know if you covered that case of that like Syrian, um, guy who tricked uh, uh, the Lebanese guy who tricked uh, being Jewish and then married and they broke up the marriage. Um, I, I'm not sure if you covered that story. I don't think I covered it, but I certainly read about it. So someone who was not Jewish, probably a, a Christian, right, was uh, trying to was passing as an Orthodox Jew along with his father uh, for many many years, right? No, a Texas Muslim. I don't think his father. I'm saying he you know, went to he maybe even in, in, as a teenager decided he wanted to be Jewish. And when he got to university, he looked into conversion and I guess determined, you know, just started telling people he's Jewish and people believed him. So he's stuck with uh, the lie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess in Texas, he actually became like president of his Jewish club and like relative to the Jews in Texas. Um, he was, you know, you know, he was a pretty good Jew and, uh, and, and they actually set him up to be married in uh in lakewood to to a syrian and uh you know then it came out that like his identity that he wasn't jewish uh, and you know there's that like oh you know because he's lebanese he's arab that uh you know white white he lies a, a traitor he's a liar a fake jew but there's a lot of uh people saying that they'll help him convert and you know because at the end of the day he learned how to be a jew they said he even read from the torah and uh you know sounded very serious about uh god and hashem in in relatively um, I mean, so he lied about it, but I was saying, like, if you actually know how to be Jewish, uh, it's a lot easier to have acceptance into the Jewish community. Um, you know, like, it's, it's, uh, you could probably lie about it. You just go to synagogue if you know what you're doing, tell people you're Jewish. But even if you're a convert, it's usually, like, obvious. You either know what you're doing or you don't. Right. So, in, in, since 9-11, there's been a lot more security at synagogues around the world, and particularly after the shootings in, in Pittsburgh and in Poway in California. So uh, once once you're in, though, you're in. So it's just a matter of establishing that you are who you say you are, and uh, and then it's good. So it's, it's a new community. I'm meeting people, and then people I know uh, know people in Sydney, so they're contacting people on my behalf. So I've heard from rabbis who contacted me out of the blue because they know someone in America who told them to reach out to me. And then I've been saying, oh, call this rabbi. And so I've been talking to a lot of people and talking about how plausible would it be for me to move to Sydney. And uh, I'm just getting a feel for the Sydney Jewish community. There are about 35,000 uh, Jews in Sydney, uh, probably about 3,000 who are Shomer Shabbat and uh, 90% are not uh, Shomer Shabbat. So there's not the intensity of Yiddishkeit that you can find in Los Angeles or New York. Well, they have, I mean, they even have like Hasidim and Strangles and uh, Chabad Yeshivas. And uh, I mean, so they have the full gamut of uh, Orthodox Judaism there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, are they more liberal like LA where you, where even Orthodox Jews might see you as cool or are they more conservative? They're like, you know, like, okay, you're not going to be able to get away with that LA stuff anymore here. Or, or is it pretty liberal there? Well, I'm, I'm only just meeting people. So I've probably spoken to two dozen uh, Jews in, in Sydney. So um, I, I can't make any generalizations, but I'm sure that there'd be some very conservative types and some more uh, liberal types. So, 
I, I don't have overall a, enough of a comprehensive feel for the community, but so far I, there's, I haven't encountered anything that would make me feel uncomfortable here. Is it hard to be, I mean, I don't, I mean, your economic situation is hard to be poor there, is it charitable or, or is it cheaper living there? Uh, it's, it's not cheaper. It's very expensive to live here. It's one of the most expensive places in the world. Um, I've, Even more than Beverly Hills? Yeah. So I haven't looked into charity. I, I'm not looking for charity and don't don't expect to need that, but I will have to uh, you know, establish new ways of making a living. So uh, many, of, many of the ways I made a living in, in LA are not going to immediately translate to Sydney. So it's it's... You know, I'll have to bring in six figures to keep my head above water in Sydney. While in in LA, I could you know get by on say seventy thousand a year. Is streaming? Uh, you have you thought about the streaming? Is like is it possible that you'll cut it off, or you're going to try to make the streaming work? No, I'll still do some streaming, um, but uh, maybe I don't know once a week, or I, I don't have any particular. Uh, program i'm i'm just going to do it as it complements my life so i've always tried to to fit the streaming around my life rather than my life around my streaming so it was always important to me that the things i was saying on stream were things that would be compatible for my wider life so i don't contort my life to fit in with my live streaming i i adjust my live streaming to fit in with my life and so Go ahead. I mean, like Ethan Ralph wants to interview about pornography. You might even pass on that. Yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to find out more. So I'm not. I'm not completely averse to talking about that industry, but it's certainly not a major focus for me. And so you haven't been going to shul. Is that what? It, is that what you were telling me? You haven't been going to shul much. I haven't went to shul since. Uh... I went on the high holidays. They had outdoor minion. So, that, that, I mean, the, the young Israel actually in the summer canceled outdoor minion because of the air conditioning. There just wasn't enough interest. I guess, you know, people were vaccinated and they felt safe. Even though people were catching COVID you know, indoors, even though people were fully vaccinated, there were still people catching it here and there. Uh, but they still went indoors just because uh, they wanted air conditioning. And then when it came to high holidays, there was enough uh, people that wanted outdoors that they did outdoors. So I was able to catch Minion over Sukkot and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And uh, then after that, they just stopped outdoor Minion. So uh, I haven't been to Minion since uh, Sukkot. And uh, do you have any thoughts on fitting your life around your live streaming versus fitting your live streaming around your life? Have you noticed any repercussions from live streaming, either positively or negatively in your real life? No, not really. I mean, I'm not that much of a live streamer, and, and I'm not uh, streaming that much local events. I used to put up videos um, you know, of local events and record it, but, uh, like, I'm not really speaking to people that know, you know, like in the right or the, or the uh, that would be in the Metro Detroit area, and very few people, the no people I've met, like, actually watch my streams, so... Uh, I mean, definitely like talking to counter Semites would, would uh, you know, maybe raise an eyebrow. People are doing it, it might make them nervous. Um, so I've been a little bit uh, careful about that. But I guess with COVID-19 and not going anywhere, 
and my business is largely, uh, you know, eBay managing a few properties that, that have maybe went back to live streaming. So, uh, you know, may, maybe like a year ago I was trying to, you know, talk to, like I hadn't talked with Adam Green. I wasn't really debating counter Semites. Uh, but now that, uh, you know, COVID-19, there's not much going on. There's less for me to lose by doing it. I guess I'm, uh, doing it more and, and, uh, you know, like if you follow the numbers, Michigan had like, uh, like 10% of all COVID cases are here in uh, Michigan. It's really bad. And it's probably going to be like that for another few months. So I was actually thinking of stepping up my live streaming, um, you know, maybe, uh, some other stuff. My chess streamings were a little bit more successful. I actually like ironically was able to pivot to Israel and coaching chess in Israel uh, to COVID, like, cause I used to coach African-Americans chess in Detroit and, uh, you know, cause a lot of chess is actually more popular online, uh, you know, very popular gaming. And so I, I put up some good performances and they recruited me as a, a coach on one of the big servers to, uh, for Israelis. And, uh, and so I thought like, you know, maybe I'd end up in Israel one day and that I'd use coaching chess as like some sort of method as a breakthrough to, meet people in Israel and, and, and it's actually worked reasonably well. So now I'm in contact directly regularly with the, uh, you know, tens of people largely through uh, chess and I've been streaming uh, internationally, uh, you know, not, not that often, but, you know, like streaming internationally, uh, you know, like gaming, I guess, you know, but uh, chess is the game that I'm, I'm streaming. And uh, about six months ago, I think you stopped uh, using marijuana. How has that gone? Um, pretty good. You like over Sukkos. I stopped in, uh, I think like July and then I smoked a little bit over Sukkos, not a huge amount, but like maybe like two grams. I basically finished up everything that I had over Sukkos, which was less than two grams, um, which, you know, historically I smoked like a gram a day. So, uh, um, now it's been definitely a few months and, and hopefully I think I'm good probably the rest of my life. I don't really need it. Um, Maybe if I start going back in public in nervous conditions, like there was reasons why I used it. But uh, yeah, I think I'm a grown man. You know, whatever social uh, malfunctions I had or just nervousness is about social conditions or depression. Uh, like hopefully I've uh, you came up with other ways of dealing with it. So I feel good about uh, I feel more healthy. Definitely like, you know, like a, a lingering cough or or just like phlegm you know, like unpleasant things in my uh, taste in my throat, that, like when I wake up, uh, that uh, those have largely disappeared and uh, you know, more energy. I'm, I'm reading more, like the amount that I'm reading, the level of intellectual output I think I'm putting forward is, uh, you know, increased. So, uh, you know, thank God, you know, I appreciate you encouraging me to kick the habit. Glad I did. That's, that's hey, David, have you done mushrooms? I mean, decades ago. They actually just legalized mushrooms in Detroit, uh, psychedelic mushrooms. So now you could buy legally psychedelic mushrooms in Detroit, but uh, I'm not planning on it. And uh, Elliot, what's your experience with mushrooms? <clears throat> well, I've done it three times. Uh, all microdose level. Uh, I, I've still not encountered the epic dose or the heroic dose or what it's called, which is five grams. Um, that's where you really trip. That's where you really 
hallucinate at a very high level and meet interdimensional beings and things. So I haven't done that yet. But uh, my overall take on mushrooms is, 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 is that they're quite positive. Um, but it, it's weird to call them a drug, though, because they're, 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 they exist in a different category. They're not a drug in the way one would think about marijuana as being a drug. They're, they're just plain different. They're a, they're like a mental vacation or a mental excursion that's, uh, not, it doesn't feel like a drug. That makes any sense. Yeah. And uh, what's been going on with Jen? Have you guys been participating in Week in Review? Yeah, it's still going every week. You know, it hasn't really picked up or, you know, went in, went uh, you know big. But we, we get still about 200 views. Um, we were going longer, and it was kind of getting, uh, you're just kind of, low tier arguments. So, so I, I cut it, cut it off now from like, you know, six to eight hours to, to like three hours or, you know, it was going, it used to go like five plus hours, but, uh, you know, people would come on and they'd be kind of on productive conversations. And, uh, so we both love science. So it became a lot more technical stuff about uh, science and math. I put the link in her uh, debate partner right now is from Australia. So she's on modern day debate, 235, a viewer, she hit over a thousand subs, but chose not to go um, monetize. But uh, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty successful show. Like Elliot doesn't uh, really show up. We, we we developed mostly a new crowd. Like occasionally, I'll see names that uh, used to watch Luke Ford. Like uh, High T will pop in, uh, but they're almost all new people. In fact, the other week, this uh, Mansoor showed up, but it was a different Mansoor. So I, I was like, "Is that the old Mansoor from like Babs and Luke?" But like, no, it was a different. Uh, uh, Mansoor. So, uh, you know, it's good to make a new network and uh, to have a niche because, uh, you know, honestly, I like science and spirituality. And, uh, you know, I, I guess even though she's not Jewish, she, she kind of likes like Kabbalah, uh, Jewish uh, spiritual takes, which I guess uh, you weren't really that big into. None of the Jewish streamers I streamed with, maybe Babs a little bit, uh, were, were too much into like Kabbalah, Jewish spirituality, maybe like Adam Green more conspiratorial, but, uh, you know, cause, and, and we both kind of like Hinduism. So it's been, uh, pretty successful. Um, she's not that nice. Like, like, I think, you know, we could get big and get interviews, but, uh, you know, she, she I guess she's got like her, you know, principles and, and she kind of likes to call out falsehood as she sees it. And so it's very difficult to get guests cause, uh, you know, she's not necessarily all that nice to them as opposed to like Brittany on politically provoked. Uh, who, you know, basically is willing to give softball interviews. So uh, Jen is completely unwilling to give softball interviews. And because of that, we haven't really been that successful in, uh, you know, having too many guests. And uh, Elliot, how come you're not on the show anymore? I, I simply just don't have time. Like that show airs when I'm completely winding down for the week. And I just don't have energy at that time of day. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know? Uh, I get it. And uh, I just, I, I'd rather listen, but more because I'm trying to limit my online engagement altogether um, and work on my other disciplines, it just, um, 
Uh, the internet seems to be a, uh, a venue for opinions, and strangely enough, I, I'm just not interested in opinions anymore. <laughs> I, I think that there's other um, there's other ways of knowing that aren't necessarily opinions. You know, like opinions seem to be rather cheap and dispensable. You so, still pop on Claire Call. I th- like I think Luke, a lot of your old people, like Brundlefly, just had an interview. Like a cranial uh, for Claire's copy of a millennial, um, you know. She, so she interviewed Ov, and she interviewed Brundle the other day. And I think I see Elliot in the chat there occasionally. Oh, I still listen. I still listen, but I, I, I rarely participate in it. I rarely call in. I rarely participate. I mean, I'll chat here and there because that's that's my it's my forte, shall we say. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, you want something conversational, like like Luke. If you're producing something, or like you're having a conversation, you're thinking towards an audience, as opposed to just kind of like Claire, who's just like streaming, and you could pop on and have small talk, uh, chat with only like you know ten ten viewers or something like that, and just catch up with some names. That uh, it's important to have that because like you know like you could you know Luke is on. And you could be in the chat or say hi to the chat, but to actually have a stream where you could just pop on and have a chit chat, small talk. Um, you really, Claire's the only one left doing that. So she has a decent amount. I, I, I would even be surprised if like half of Claire's audience is, uh, you, you made up of, uh, your old audience. I don't know if you agree with that, uh, Elliot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Claire's a very good conversationalist. Whether you agree with her or not, she's uh, an excellent conversationalist. She also focused on, like, right-wing nationalism. I mean, before I forget, did you reach out to Dia Latina, Luke, if you wanted to end with, like, the right-wing in uh, Australia? Uh, no, I haven't. I may at some point. You know, she might be – I mean, you might have another in, but she might be your in for uh, – you know, like the alt right of uh, Australia. No, you you had her on your on your show. I set that up, um, and she's young, and she interviews even some actual politicians. Uh, I think even had members of parliament, but more like alt right uh, type uh, Australian figures. And uh, I think she's like anti lockdown, anti mask, and maybe anti vax. I'm not sure, but I follow her on you. I see her on Twitter. You know, she still seems pretty active. Hey. Luke, do you mind if I uh, change gears a little bit? Because I do have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, regarding your previous, your previous life if, uh, as a Seventh Day Adventist, because a certain event has occurred in my life that I, I'd like to discuss with you. Yes. Go ahead. Um, so I have a friend who's a Christian scientist who was raised in the Christian Science uh, religion. And I realize that that's not Seventh-day Adventism, but they're sort of cousins in a certain way because they're sort of these um, kind of eccentric Protestant denominations. Is that correct? I believe, yes, they're both, uh, from a mainstream Protestant perspective, they're both eccentric uh, Protestant denominations, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think they both started in New England, and I'm from New England, and um, so my friend of mine uh, has recently just you know, a week ago flown back to the East Coast because his mother is quite ill and aging and she's refusing uh, medical treatment because she's this um, 
uh, Christian scientists, and they you know, famously uh, refuse any sort of modern medicine. And as a result of this, she's, she's quite likely to die. Um, she has a very severe infection, and she's just simply not uh, allowing herself to be treated by uh, medical doctors. And um, curious, I was curious to know if 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 Seventh Day Adventists have a similar uh, attitude uh, vis-a-vis uh, modern medicine. No, not at all. So there are a large number of doctors who are Seventh Day Adventists. There are a large number of hospitals that are Seventh Day Adventists. And so, I mean, even among Orthodox Jews, I, I've known Orthodox Jews who tried to go alternative when when <laughs> facing cancer. So there are surely, you know, there will be some Seventh-day Adventists who are going to shy away from conventional medicine and try to go alternative, but I don't think it'd be any higher than the general population. Okay. All right. Um, and side note, uh, uh, Ellen White, is that the founder yes, of yes. Seventh-day Adventists? Yes. So I used to work in the building. The building, I, I used to work in a building that was the was the school in which Ellen White uh, sort of had her uh, revelatory experience and decided to form the Christian Science religion. No, Ellen so, White didn't form Christian Science. Oh, she, Ellen White formed Seventh-day Adventism. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to yeah. say Seventh-day. Yes. So uh, I just a certain side note there. Just uh, but 155 Bracket Street, Portland, Maine. Um, was the scene of her revelation. Yeah. Yeah, she had hundreds of them, and they always came after the church decided some particular issue, and then she'd get taken into a a vision that that, uh, God had confirmed whatever decision that the men had already made. (laughs) (laughs) Interessant, my dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the rare female led uh, religion so the church is still like 70 percent female to this day interesting interesting <laughs> Harry okay. christians are pretty big there in sydney also i don't know if you've seen them or COVID 19 or if you've even with COVID 19 if you see them on the street no i haven't seen any Hare christians i think they're pretty big there haven't seen any Hare christians haven't seen any rappers haven't seen virtually no joggers it's uh it, it's frighteningly homogeneous. Do you find uh, do you find a lack of rap just? Do you feel a deficit? Yeah, it, just... it 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 just it signals like the, the the low energy and and the kind of the staid, placid uh, culture we have here that really needs the really needs something to add vibrancy. Diversity and multiculturalism. You're missing diversity and multiculturalism already, even though for years you advocated against it. Yeah, yeah. I've been humbled. Do you think you'd be be able to live without it? I don't know if I can live without rap. I don't know if I want to live without rappers. I mean, life without rappers is like, it's so drained of color and excitement. I had a rap battle a few weeks ago with this Iraqi Muslim in London and actually wrote like a whole song about her Zobita El Arabia, um, pretty big viewership. You get like 50 to 100 live viewers. And I actually just wrote a rap for Church of Entropy. I might do tomorrow on a Week in Review. Oh, wow. What are you, what, what are you talking about in your rap, dude? Um, 
Zobidia Arabia, the little Muslim girl from Iraq with green eyes. Zobidia Arabia, not scared to get in your face and call out your lies. Zobidia Arabia, first time I met her, she called me a filthy liar. Zobidia Arabia, she's not scared to tell you what you're doing is going to cause you hellfire. Wow. I, I, uh, so this this actually a popular uh, speaker's corner. Uh, this uh, m- Muslim girl who's a streaming presence. I, I stream with her for like hours every day for a week, and she like hit me hard with these uh, pretty tough questions on uh, um, Judaism. And then like and then we wrapped and became friends. So like after a week of her just hitting me straight with these like pretty harsh uh, counter Semitic attacks, uh, like we had a rap battle and that like broke the uh, you know kind of uh, broke the uh, animosity. So, Luke, are you going to uh, discover the healing power of rap? I, I think I'm starting to right now. I mean, this is awesome. Like, here you have a Jew and a Muslim feeling great animosity, but through the healing power of rap, they were able to find common ground and and connect as, as two human beings. I mean, it, it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you can kind of talk on beat and to a certain tone, it's not that difficult. It's just like writing poetry. All you have to do is think of a few ideas. Then you could search like a rhyming dictionary or online. So, uh, you know, just take, take a word like, uh, you know, like I think I searched up, I was like invitation, um, intimidation, confrontation, education. Um, and, and so you could just like, uh, make lines based on, uh, based on rhymes. You know, like Luke four beating off the horde. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think off my head, if you, if you did rap regularly, you have, uh, uh, rhymes memorized, uh, but you know, you could prepare them a little bit by just, uh, you know, if I, if I searched online, like words that rhyme with Ford, and then I could, uh, you know, probably put a few lyrics to that, that would sound intelligible and might make sense to people who know you and would be like, oh, that's pretty clever. Um, but, uh, you know, so if you're a rapper, you, you have to, you have the, you could do it on the spot and you have the rhymes memorized, but they're not that difficult to prepare. You could just, you know, like online, if you actually have, you know, God forbid uh, my, my roommate, my, uh, the, the rapper I managed, the only book that he owned was a rhyming dictionary. Like literally he only owned one book and it was a rhyming dictionary. Wow. And how, how has that gone? How long have you been managing this rapper? Well, I mean, it's over 10 years. Like I, I lost, I'm friends with his daughter on Facebook. So but I haven't spoken with him in years, but I was saying the like the rhyming dictionary was important. He used that. He needed that. And it's in like, he kept with them a rhyming dictionary. What like his, uh, he didn't have that much of a formal education. He wasn't a big reader. And, uh, but he kept a rhyming dictionary and he'd make notes of, uh, of rhymes. Um, but, uh, I mean, you could buy a rhyming dictionary. You could just search up online, um, you know, for the, for the exercise, I'll put uh, um, I'll put up rhymes with uh, Ford on. Uh, okay, so just uh, you know, like from online rhyme pages. So you got Ford, Cord, Reward, Sword, Restored. So uh, you know you can make up a make up a you know like a streaming with Luke Ford. He's always got the microphone cord. Uh, 
ready to give you a big reward, but if you're mean to him, he'll cut you down with the sword. Even though his tech went out, he uh, restarted it, and now his camera's restored. Something like that. But uh, you know, so if you know the basics of rapping, uh, the key is the last word in the rhyming. So uh, you know, so if you find the words that rhyme, then you just have to think quickly about something that's sensical uh, that's going to end with the last word that rhymes. Hey, Luke, do you think you could treat us to a little uh, mini rap about your uh, experience in, in Sydney? Yeah, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. But, uh, I mean, I think David certainly pointed the path forward. Yeah, board, cord, horde, lord. And this board. would be a way to get some more status with the Sydney Jewish community. I'm sure they'd love some uh, high-quality rapping. And the women, you know, so, okay, God yeah. forbid you're, you're, get, you're hitting those upper upper years you want success with the younger women, like uh, you know, so like, oh, he's he's old, but but he knows how to rap. Yeah, that, that's a powerful point, uh, Elliot. Uh, what are your rap skills like? They're, they're piss poor, Lord Luke. Uh, I'm sorry, I just can't bring myself to do it. Like I've tried, and every time I do it, it just seems like I'm mocking and ironic, oh, and I God. don't want to appear. No. No. So yeah. I can so only we... do these. I can only rap in an ironic context. I'm still over. I can't, can't write no rhymes, better. and you just don't know how to rap, or you could, you could, but you could write rhymes. Yeah, I mean, I could. I mean, it just feels like arbitrary and nonsensical. It feels like I'm wasting my audience's time. Hmm. I can't. It sounds like I, you've I got low self-esteem. Genius. Sounds like I'm hearing low <laughs> self-esteem, Elliot. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I always bury. I, I, I carry the burden of uh, feeling the need to be sort of logically consistent or even poetic, but just rhyming at my way out of a situation just seems to be a little. I just looked online for what rhymes with Elliot. It's like, what's your problem, Elliot? You're way too delicate. You don't want to be celibate. <laughs> well, those, but, those uh, were the first three words I saw rhymes with Elliot. Um, delicate celibate. Touche, David. Touche. You got me, bro. Now, I never understood rap. The moment I heard rap in high school, or back then, I think it was called hip hop, or it might have been rap. I'm not sure. I, I thought the society had collapsed. Wow, that's that sounds racist, Elliot. Well, it just sounds like a a a. I don't know a a. Uh, surrender to to anti-intellectualism at like a profound level but you didn't have black friends i mean i, I was of the generation neighborhood that i had black friends i liked the music and the common interest in music um you like sports to some extent but music is a little bit stronger than you know, maybe luke you could use like sports and football or basketball but i think music is a, a little bit stronger in terms of social bonding than uh, sports. Yeah. Never, never thought about it, but yeah, not, not a lot of rap going on in, uh, in Sydney. So how, how do you like living in, in uh, Detroit? Uh, David, are you, are you there for the long haul or are you thinking about moving? Yeah. I mean, I don't plan on moving at this point. Uh, um, yeah, I'm kind of established, uh, like I'm managing some properties. Um, you know, really my only connection at this point is my family. Like I know some Jews. I could probably move if I had to. Uh, but, but with COVID-19, I don't see that changing. Like, uh, 
I think we're going to be in this situation at least another few years. So uh, it would probably have to be something drastic that would uh, cause me to move. Like I have a house. Um, I mean, if I sold the house or, I mean, my parents own it, but if they sold it and I, you know, I had uh, started with a you know, bank load and moved back to New York, I could probably do it, but uh, like I'm too comfortable, you know, like I have a house and a car and internet and, uh, you know, like bills. And even though I don't have a family that uh, like, like if, if there was a really good option, maybe for marriage or something, I might, I might uh, consider moving, but uh, you know, at this point I'm pretty locked in here in Detroit. It'd be too, too difficult to, uh, you know, to move. Hey Luke, I, I think I heard some uh, Australian rap today in the car when I was driving. Do you mind if I recite it to you? Please, please go ahead. Okay. It goes like this. She was a fast machine. She kept her motor clean. She was the best damn woman I'd ever seen. Isn't that ACDC? You shook me all night long. (laughs) You got it, bro. It's an Aussie rap, is it not? I I guess. ACDC was Australian? Yes. Yeah, they're Aussies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's some more Australian rap. I know just how to whisper, and I know just how to cry. I know just where to find the answers, and I know just how to lie. I know just how to fake it, and I know just how to scheme. I know just when to face the truth, and then I know just when to dream. And I know just where to touch you, and I know just what to prove. I know when to pull you closer, and I know when to let you loose. And I know the night is fading, and I know the time's going to fly. And I'm never going to tell you everything i got to tell you, but I know I've got to give it a try. And I know the roads to riches, and I know the ways to fame. I know all the rules, and then I know how to break them. And I always know the name of the game, but I don't know how to leave you, and I'll never let you fall. And I don't know how you do it, making love. Out of nothing at all. This sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't place it. Uh, air supply. Air supply. Air supply. Uh, I, you I actually, got one. Luke actually I, has decent beat. Um, like in terms of uh, beat, you actually have pretty decent beat. Like you're not tone deaf. Um, I mean, you could work on harmony a little bit, but like Luke, you you could probably uh, do karaoke, or you know, even put on an album. You got the decent beat. So so look, I, here's here's one for you. Another ACDC. For those about to rock, bang, we salute you. I mean, aren't those the best word, best lyrics ever, ever penned? Have you been listening to the bone? Uh, I've been listening to the bone. I've been listening to the bone in San Francisco. Yes. Yeah. I actually just sold that behind me. No, I have back in black. I just sold the uh, ACDC. Um, uh, those about to rock like last week. I still have back back in black. Check out do that, it on eBay. You could buy that, was uh, the, that that tour. That was the very first concert I ever attended. Ever first rock concert that I ever attended it was the those about to rock tour. <laughs> which which tale like back in black was sort of their big big you know, breakout huge album. But the, for those about to rock was sort of this weird follow on that didn't make any sense, but they, they just needed to ride the wave. So it never struck me how ridiculous those lyrics were <laughs> until I hear it like 30 years later on the radio. 
were you a romant- romantic Luke? Would you write like poetry and love letters? I've certainly written a lot of love letters, uh, but I haven't, and I've written some poetry. But I, I noticed once I started studying calculus and studying economics, it, it had some kind of negative effect on my ability to write poetry. So it's been a while. Okay, guys, I'm going to wrap things up. Uh, any any final words for today, Duvid? Yeah, good to hear from you. And uh, you know, if you start streaming again, you're happy to talk, especially if you want to start talking about uh, Jewish life in Australia. Um, you know, because I, I would assume, I, like, I, my sister studied in Australia in university for like I think a whole, two semesters. Um, I knew a handful of Australians here and there, even here in my local Young Israel. There's a family that moved from Australia, uh, but uh, you know, I would assume that uh, the larger Jewish dynamics are, are similar. So, if you uh, want to start talking about that, always happy to talk about Judaism. I've been sending you those links. I'm not sure if you're yes, laying low you. wa- watching those. So, like, yeah. I keep up like because I watch those. So, you know, keeps me attached to uh, Judaism. Like, have a lot of success. Like, if you do. Stay in Ella in uh, Sydney. You know, hopefully, you know. Uh, I think there's an expression in the Talmud, Shani, uh, Shani Makom Shani Mazel, that if you change your place, you change your luck. So uh, you may be changing your place will change your luck, and you know, hopefully, that means you find the right woman, build up a family, and maybe even have uh, your new streaming or financial success. So I'll leave you for that blessing. Thank you so much, David. Uh, Elliot, any final words? Uh, just tune in tomorrow at the Coronial, 11 a.m. Pacific, and uh, here, Kaw V. Blatt should be, should be, should be lit, bro. Okay, great. Blessings. Blessings. Blessings to you guys. All right, let's, uh, let's close out with some Aussie tourism ads here. There's nothing like it, is it? No. There's nothing like the sunrise, that first wave of the day. The trip along the coastline, it's right across the bay. There's nothing like this ancient place. The sunset of a camel. This organism. This beautiful. Oh, this duckbilled mammal. Da 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 da. Da 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 da.
We've bought you a beer. And we've had the camel shampooed. We've saved you a spot on the beach. And we've got the sharks out of the pool. We got the ruse off the green. Down to open the front gate. The taxi's waiting. And dinner's about to be served. You need a holiday, a fair income holiday. In the land of wonder, the land down under. Now, there's a few things I've got to warn you about. Firstly, you're going to get wet. Because the place is surrounded by water. Oh, and you're going to have to learn to say good day. Because every day's a good day in Australia. G'day, Paul. G'day, love. Of course, you'll have to get used to some of the local customs, like getting a suntan at the restaurant, playing football without a helmet. And calling everyone mate. Thanks, mate. She's right, mate. Apart from that, no worries. You'll have the time of your life in Australia. Because we talk the same language. Although you lot do have a funny accent. Oh, before you rush out to book your Aussie holiday, get the Aussie holiday book from your airline or travel agent. Come on. Come and say good day. I'll slip an extra shrimp on the barbie for you. America's disgusting. Yeah. 